0: The following is a summary of the points that I made during the Shabbos Hagar al Drasha before Pesach. And I am presenting this because I think it's important for as many people as possible in our community to be aware of what I am encouraging the show to be working on. The goal of the Shabbos al Drasha was not only to help people prepare spiritually for Pesach. But also to give people an agenda to work on as we move from Pesach to Shavuos. I started by discussing what to me is a very fascinating issue, and that is how and when does freedom begin. What I mean by that is that it's kind of like uh, if life life on Mars would begin. What would what would be that first moment that would define the beginning of life and separate it from everything that happened before. First things are dormant and then something happens and there's some kind of an awareness and a yearning for freedom that wasn't there before. So it's fascinating to me what exactly causes the awakening. In the avdus, in the servitude, in Mitzrayim, that Bnei Yisrael experienced, they were not groaning or crying out because of the work for a long time. And then the Torah says, the king of Egypt died, by Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned from the work. Now groaning means that they, they can't take it anymore, but they didn't groan before he died even though the work level was the same, and they'd been working and been sl- enslaved for, for many, many years. And uh, they, this dynamic would be very important because slavery is not only the physical slavery, it's also <laughs> spiritual slavery. When somebody is enslaved to a certain limitation, when somebody is unclear about their future, when somebody feels hopeless, What changes to give a person hope or to have a person start clawing out of a pit to get to a place where they can start working towards something? So we quoted the um, Ramban, Nachmanides, who says that they groaned here because the king of Egypt died and they thought as a result of that the decrees would be uh, removed or changed or weakened or lightened. And it didn't happen, which means that up until then, they had no hope. It was the way it was. The bondage was the bondage. The suffering was the suffering. This is the way it's going to be. This is the, the plight that we're in. But when the king of Egypt dies, they had a glimmer of hope. And then when that hope didn't materialize, they groaned, which means that something happened to give them a reason to think that things would be different. I pointed out that there's a fascinating passage in the Navi Yechezkel, in which the prophet says in the name of Hashem that I, God sent a message to you in Egypt that fell on deaf ears. I told you to abandon the gods of Egypt, abandon their their uh, disgusting and abominable ways, and you didn't listen. And Rashi there on the passage in Yechezkel says, that this was a message sent through Aharon, Moshe's brother, before Moshe gets back to Egypt from Midian, after he escapes Egypt to Midian, and then comes back when he's 80 years old. Before that, Aharon had been sent by Hashem as a, as a Navi, which is fascinating, which means that B'nai Israel had already received a message from God through a Navi, through a prophet, and they didn't respond, and now, for some reason they are groaning and crying out and their cries go up to god so the question is what exactly changed i quoted as um, the gerer rebbe who says that often a person is so much in exile and by exile he means out of touch with himself out of touch with any yearning for anything greater any out of touch with growth A person is so much in exile that he doesn't even know he's in exile. And I define that as a spot below depression. Depression is that I kind of know that there is hope. I just don't have any, Uh, and I feel the lack of hope. But that's a level of awareness that there's such a thing called hope that I have none of. But there is a place below that in which a person doesn't even aspire to have hope, it doesn't even know or think that there's anything else possible. And that's what the Tseva is talking about. And so again, uh, often a person can be at a certain place where he uh, is not even aware that there's any other possibility, and he doesn't yearn for that possibility. I quoted the Meha Shiloach, the Ishbitzer, the Rebbe of Ishbitz, who says on this passage the king of Egypt died and Bnei Yisrael groaned from the work, he says, now the redemption begins. And he says that when Hashem wants to uh, initiate salvation, what he does is he creates a feeling of lacking in a person or in in a nation, and that causes them to cry out in need, and then God responds to their prayer, which means that the way Hashem set up the world is that he responds to human uh, prayer. Uh, But if the person doesn't know that there's a problem or is so numb to the problem, he's so desolate and so barren and so empty that he doesn't even know there's a problem or then he won't cry out. So Hashem intervenes by creating a feeling of emptiness or lacking and then the person cries out to God and then God can respond and intervene and do his thing do his miracles. So that's really what my goal is in this talk. My goal is to underline certain areas that are lacking. And this is a difficult thing to do and to say because there's so much accomplishment, there's so much development, there's so much heroic progress that individuals in our community have made in furthering the the growth of the community and in the areas that I'll be delineating, uh, why would I even talking about what's lacking? And the answer is that it's my observation that there is something not working about the spiritual development of uh, uh, the national Jewish community. There's something that's uh, what I call, I say, even off the rails, that something that uh, shouldn't be happening is happening, which is that we can't, for some reason, we can't even guarantee that our children will be inspired by the life that we're leading. And it's a fairly widespread phenomenon that in households uh, that are observant, at least one, if not more, of the children are totally uninspired and choose to opt out. What's missing? What's going on? What's wrong? And so I maintain in this talk that my goal was to cause groaning, which means to underline an awareness of areas that we have accepted as normative and think that's just the way it's going to be. And we don't even realize that something much greater is possible. And we're not even looking forward to that. We just assume this is the way it has to be. And it doesn't have to be that way. The truth is, that once we start groaning and we start having hope we start realizing that there's a gap between the way things are and the way things could be that's really the beginning of freedom but we need to be aware of that so that was that was and is the goal of my talk in the process i asserted that the areas that i was going to describe are actually basic principles for our shul community which means that the areas that I'm going to describe in which we have accepted limitations and we need to take new ground and be creative in our own personal relationship to these areas uh, and and take initiatives and these, these are areas that are fundamental to what our synagogue, what our shul stands for. And uh, those five areas are Talmud Torah, the study of Torah, and Uh, I emphasize now and always that these areas are not to be taken in a limited literal sense but in the broadest possible sense. Talmud Torah would be an example. Talmud Torah means Torah study. Classically when we hear that word Torah study we think of sitting down with a volume of Torah whether it be a Chumash or a Mishnah or a Gemara or a Shulchan Aruch or any other source and studying possibly even with a partner, and probably in uh, in our community, in the Kola based Medrash. My goal in each of these areas is to uh, create a sense of imagination and creativity so that people can take new ground in their own way in these areas and not necessarily in the limited and classical way. So, for example, in, in the area of Torah study, one way of changing one's relationship to Torah study would be to start studying biographies of Torah scholars. It's an amazingly inspiring experience to study the accomplishments and the dedication and the commitment and the sacrifice of Torah scholars. And it gives a person a relationship to the study of Torah because one sees uh, what a certain giants of the spirit have accomplished in that area. Another imaginative way in the area of Torah study would be for somebody to take note of where they have always assumed that they would never excel or they would never know or never be familiar with an area of Torah and actually make a dent in that area for the sake of actually breaking The sound barrier so to speak in that area so torah study is a fundamental underpinning of being a jew the studying of the torah is the studying of god's word the only reason we're jewish is because god gave us a torah and the only way to maintain our judaism and for it to be fresh and to be filled with energy is for us to be creative and to be in some way absorbing the message of god or relating with reverence to the torah itself So that's one area that I believe that many people, including those involved in the study of Torah in a serious way, have accepted limitations upon themselves and assume they'll do what they do and they won't do what they won't do, and that's just the way it is. There are certain people who like studying Torah, I'm not one of them, or there are people who do really well in certain areas, but I'm not one of them, and I maintain that those limitations are manifestations of slavery. And so that's one area that needs, that, that we stand for. Our synagogue has stood for the idea that a Jew studies Torah as a way of fueling him or herself. And that study of Torah has fueled the growth of the community itself. And that's why uniquely our shul is physically connected to the, the kolel, which stands for the idea of, that every single person in the Jewish people studies Torah. The next area that I delineated was the area of Shabbos. And here, um, uh, it's wonderful that our community has stood for Shabbos. It stood for Shabbos when Shabbos wasn't understood in this community. It stood for Shabbos when a majority, an overwhelming majority of our membership was not personally observant, but still knew, but affiliated with a shul that stood for the idea of Shabbos observance. And similarly, now, our shul needs to take a stand for the observance of Shabbos, which is beyond what's going on right now. Because what's going on right now, although really very special and really uh, invigorating, has some built-in limitations. The fact is that there are many, many households where Shabbos is not an elevating and inspiring experience. And we all know... It's no. It's an open secret. It's not even. It's not even a secret. It's. It's an open discussion that we are concerned about what we do with our children and are they going to be interested in keeping Shabbos, and are they inspired by Shabbos, and uh, I detect certain breakdowns in the way Shabbos is observed, in such in a way that it causes these questions to be very real and very realistic. So Shabbos is another area that that needs shoring up. We need to start groaning about Shabbos and thereby aspiring for more. Another area, and I believe that this is actually a reflection of a failure of my leadership, although I have reasons for it. Another area that we need to emphasize is uh, outreach, Uh, actually making our synagogue community a place that is open and interested in sharing our Judaism with people who are not that yet familiar with it, uh, and the reason that we haven't done that in the last several years—we kind of abandoned the uh, the self-described uh, title of the Orthodox Synagogue for all Jews—is specifically because we have been so focused on trying to maintain uh, stability within the observant community that we have kind of lost our focus on sharing ourselves with others. I maintain that a spiritually healthy community uh, needs to be taking responsibility to share itself with people who are less observant and to invite and share uh, the Judaism with these people in one way or another, whether it's through the community, through outreach programs, or through individual one-on-one relationships, And together with that, there's also another aspect of being responsible for who we are in public. Uh, I think we could do a lot better in the way that the committed Orthodox community uh, members behave in public. Um, And we need to be governed by an awareness that at all times we are being observed as Orthodox Jews, and at all times people are making judgments about us, and we have tremendous opportunity to inspire people. And we do clearly stand for a higher level of living. Um, And I gave several examples in my talk of how uh, non-Jews or non-observant Jews actually uh, expect and know our community to be one that practices a higher standard of behavior. And that's a very positive thing, but we can do even better. Another area, uh, I've listed three so far, Torah study, Shabbos, and outreach, Kiddush Hashem. Another area, the fourth area, is family as a source of nurture. Uh, I assert that the home has no longer become the source of nurture. A home has now become a house. It's a place where people sleep and where people have their clothes, where they change, where they sleep, where they bathe. But it is not a place where they become energized from each other It's not a place where parents feel absolutely responsible for control of the environment and where the environment in the home actually inspires and um, directs the children this is because of the advent of social media and the um, devices that everybody has access to which means that when you're home you're not really home Uh, when parents are home they're not really home Uh, they're on the phone um, kids are on social media um, they're living in a world in which likes and, and, and unlikes or dislikes are more important than what's going on in their interaction in the home dinner table uh, does not mean the family gets together and discusses things um, there's no expectation of that anymore kids don't expect their parents to be uh, paying attention to them they find other ways of keeping themselves busy Uh, and parents have no idea what's going on with their kids and what's in their kids' heads, and it's a major breakdown, and this certainly is not the way that God intended us to live, and even people who are not Jewish and who are not religious already recognize that there's a threat to the viability of family as a source of, of mental health, and we need to do something about it as Jews who believe that we have something very important to give to our children, so we need to pay attention to that, and the fifth area is tefillah. Uh davening has become rote. It becomes it has become a job that we have to accomplish. Um, it is normative inside of the most committed communities to get davening done as fast as possible. To complain if davening takes an extra minute or two longer than normal, um, and many other examples of how we do not relate to tefillah to davening as a communication of intimacy between me and God, it's something that we just got to get done. Minion factories in more sophisticated communities are just really incomprehensible. The idea that you just come get the job done standing on the sidewalk or quickly or that kind of thing, it's not consistent with the idea of tefillah. And I know that when I say this, uh, I'm viewed as almost irrational because it's such an accepted institution that I must be some hopelessly out of town kind of a guy who doesn't get it. So these are the areas that I am maintaining need work. And if we don't work on these areas, then our orthodoxy will be stale. And not only will it be stale, it will be a turnoff to ourselves and to our children and to our community and to others. And these are areas where freedom is possible, where we can actually expand our horizons and accomplish great things in these areas, but we have to take new ground. And so I'm saying that in the period of time between Pesach and Shavuos, I'm gonna be asking people to join one or the other of these groups. And the groups will be defined as people who will be receiving information, encouragement, insights, and suggestions as to how they can customize in their own personal way, uh, initiatives so that they can actually be creative in these areas and come into the Yom Tov of Shavuos having accomplished something in the area of marching towards freedom and towards a renewed commitment to our Torah.